This episode of Let's Think On It comes from an excerpt from O Brother Radio with Will Lockamy, Reed Lockamy, and Dr. Mark Westfall. Reed, let's welcome to the show Dr. Mark Westfall. Of course, we hear Dr. Mark here every month, and you can go back and catch these segments under the podcast Let's Think On It, wherever you find podcasts. And lots of people do, lots of people asking for this last one um, that came out about opioid addiction. Yeah, that was a that was an important one, no doubt. Um, this one's going to be no less important. Well, we've I think we've got a great guest tonight. You know her uh, sure. as well as I do, or better. Uh, you interviewed her, by the way, a great interview. Erin Georgia is going to join us tonight. Um, you interviewed her back in June. Was it um, June? I was trying to think today when that was. I, I thought late spring, but I mean, you May. Uh, it was June. Was it, it had June? To have yeah, been June. It was June. Yeah, yeah, because mm-hmm. yeah, um, it was two weeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, if you haven't heard the interview, I suggest you go back. We do have it on the podcast because um, you played the morning interview at your show at night. That's right. With her, and then we talked about it afterwards. And so, um, Aaron's. Um, child Jay, uh, transgender male, uh, committed suicide in June, and you, Aaron, did a fantastic uh, job of coming to the show with you and Reg, and the interview with her was very moving, in my opinion. Yeah, well, when you say it was a great interview, it had nothing to do with myself. Well, we all know that. Yeah, <laughs> Reg, was, I really just tried to, as I told you, I tried to just shut up. Hey, you know up. what? Good interviewers know when to get out of the way. Yeah, That's right. I tried to yeah. just shut up as much as possible. But no, you. well, what you did convey was the effect her uh, responses had on you. Right. You know? And so, you know, it was, it, was a, it was a really good piece of journalism. Thanks. Yeah. Well, people, like you said, go back and catch it uh, under the podcast. Let's think on it. Yeah. So we talked then that, and you know, that was during our um, three uh, segment on spirituality, um, and we talked about that some, and we talked then that we wanted to get Erin on the on the show and and kind of catch up with her, and so I called her to see if she was um, feeling up to it. Um, We're now you know three to four months um, after Jay's death, and I'll didn't know how you were doing and wanted you to come back and share with us to just check in really and see how things were going with you and and um get to know you a little more really because i didn't i didn't get a chance to talk to you so um welcome well thank you so much i really appreciate you guys having me here sure and um you know you said it was a great interview but um i was really provided the perfect platform and i say that because um it's not edited you know we're we're having Mm. a conversation and it's real and the situation I've been in is real. So um, I appreciate that. And thank you so much for having me back for a follow-up. Of course, yeah. yeah. I mean, the listeners don't have to guess. Uh, they can tell that I don't write questions. <laughs> that we really just simply sit down <laughs> and, for, and we just have discussions with people and that's it. It's a great style. That's you know, how we've done it. it is real. And, it is. and that came across um, as, as very real. So, you know, I mean, that first discussion about it on the radio, you were really, seemed so strong, really, t- two weeks out to talk about um, what it was like for you and I and I think a lot of we had a lot of listeners talk about how strong you were of a person and and um, to come and be able to do that and I was wondering really if you could uh, you kind of intimated it on a brief discussion or interaction we had on the phone that you know it's been kind of rough um, for you and I think that's real as well oh absolutely um, you say I was strong, but I was probably at my weakest. Mm. And if you um, if you just kind of succumb to it, 
and um, connect to the energy around you. Um, that's your support system. So if I displayed strength or if you saw that, you're, it was really a reflection of your own strength um, supporting me. So um, it has been rough, but today is a good day. But I'll be happy to share about the rough days because I think we really have to find a connection in our pain and our, and our sufferings because um, otherwise, if you don't have that connection, how are you going to make it through? And um, I, I'm not getting over it. Right. I'm getting through it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a common uh, misconception that people have about grief or suffering or pain or trauma. Uh, PTSD that you're supposed to get over these things um, you don't get over it you get through it well we're, yeah before we get too deep because I want to have kind of an uninterrupted conversation uh, when we come back they make us play this uh, the, the FCC makes us play this thing at the top of every hour so let's play that take the quick break and then when we come back we'll, we'll kind of dig deep into what's okay. been going on with Aaron okay. we're hanging out still with Dr. Mark Westfall as we do each and every month um, and we have Aaron Georgia here with us. Aaron joined us back in June under different circumstances. Uh, we wanted to revisit your story now. Um, would you want to tell the story, um, Jay, and kind of how we how this all came to be? Huh? I, well, I can touch on some facts and everything. So um, on May 25th, um, I found my son, my transgender um, son. He's 13 years old. Um, he had hung himself in our house. And we found about 5.30 a.m. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, he had dealt with depression and anxiety. And, um, you know, and it was, it was obviously a big shock. And, um, but for some reason, um, it, the media, you know, caught a hold of it. Mm-hmm. And it got publicity. And I think suicide doesn't get enough attention. Um, it's the number one killer when it comes to firearms. Uh, you know, yeah. it's um, it's just something that we need to have a conversation about. So when I started getting contacted from media about if I wanted to talk and tell the story, and um, I, I, I spent some time thinking about it, and I think um, in our vulnerability, we find connectedness, and um, in isolation, we find depression and sadness so I think telling these stories we're able to you know show that you're not alone and uh, with Jay I mean he had to have felt the most loneliness he'd ever felt to do something like that so you think now looking back the media attention was a good thing oh I, I, I think I think media is what it is which, by the way, for whatever reason, I understand what this platform is. I just don't consider us media. I don't know why. Yeah, I, mean, I, I understand that we are on the radio. I would say you made it work for you. Absolutely. So um, I, I, I sought out the advice of some people that I know that have um, had um, interactions with media. And I said, help me make this a positive story. And it's because anybody can put a spin on anything. And so... Um, I kind of let it go where it should go, which is, you know, just to love people and also to support people through their grief and how we don't necessarily have to be disconnected. We're stronger together. And I saw a lot of that in my community. So I felt it was important to, uh, you know, really show that and express that. Was there anything the night before that stands out to you? Like, did, did something happen or was Jay acting a certain way? 
So um, when J- it was the end of the school year. Jay was in seventh grade. And end of the school year, you got to turn in projects. you got to turn in school stuff. Um, I think that contributed to it. But the day before, or the day, day before, so um, on Tuesday, Jay had the best day. Jay went on a field trip, uh, went to Cahaba Environmental place and everything and was super stoked about the whole thing and we talked a lot about it and it was just a phenomenal family day of excitement the next day um, there was anxiety there was upset and he was upset that evening but there was no indication that it wasn't something that we'd seen before Um, Jay did have um, a history of self-harm of cutting um, and we had addressed that as in like you know we were supportive he'd usually come to me and we'd discuss it we'd talk to his doctors about it the school might notice uh, a self-harm incident and they would call me so there was a, a very large support system honestly for jay so um yeah he was upset the night before and but it wasn't you know i wasn't calling nine one one. we uh he ate dinner with us uh we checked on him multiple times that night and we all went to bed, but we I'm, didn't all get up the next morning. He was asleep? Like you checked on him, he'd already gone to bed yeah. and was asleep? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm curious to know because, you know, I, I used to teach seventh grade, mm-hmm. and it's, I mean, obviously uh, students deal with, you know, very real issues, and, and like you said, have, um, you know, uh, real struggles with depression and all of that. But it is still so hard. I, I like to consider myself as someone who's like aware of these kinds of issues mm-hmm. and suicide and whatnot. And boy, it is uh, hard to think about, uh, you know, children, which is what seventh graders are, finding themselves at that extreme of the spectrum. Did you, did you even conceptualize before this that that was really a possibility for someone of that age? So, um, well, that's been part of my struggle since Jay died because um, I was absolutely certain that we were going to get through this, like the depression, anxiety, teenage years. Like I had my mind made up that I was going to be the best parent and provide all the needs and figure out how to best help my son. And um, I just knew that we were going to make it. And um, so in that aspect, it was... um, Jay's always been an artist and was very intelligent, probably in maturity level, more advanced than, say, for 13, more Mm -hmm. 14, 15 years old on the adolescent development scale and stuff. And um, so he he dealt with a lot of deep thoughts. Yeah. But he didn't have the world, the wisdom to deal with those thoughts. Yeah, how to really cope with it. And I think that's part of what um, some of the discussions that are had in circles. Why do people commit suicide or, you know, how 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 do we prevent it? And those are a lot of questions people ask that are left behind. You know, what are we supposed to do? Why didn't I know? Um, Somebody asked me, they said, why did Jay commit suicide? And I said, well, listen to this. I said, um, if I knew that, he would still be alive. Right. <laughs> it's, not, it's not a simple thing, it turns out. No, no, no. it's not and quite as uh, black and white as people think it is. Did it's, you leave a note or anything? I guess that, may, you know, if there would be an answer to that, it, maybe it would be left in a note, but we never discussed that. Did he leave something? So he did leave a note, no. and it said, um, I won't bother you anymore. Mm-hmm. <sighs> and it said goodbye to um, tell one friend he was a good friend and tell so-and-so on this social media site that I'm gone. Yeah. But I don't want Jay's suicide to be boiled down to the night before. Sure, right. Because, right. Um, 
you know, the mindset that I've taken these days um, as I've progressed through my grieving process and has been, um, you know, I don't say I only got 13 years with my son. Mm -hmm. I say, man, I got 13 years with my son. I'm so lucky. So um, I just try to remember the impact that he made on me and that he's still making on me and other people, all of our listeners right now and everybody in this room. I'm curious to know, because it's interesting to hear you talk about this, and I think you you bring something to this discussion that I, I don't know that I'd thought about before. I'm curious to know how much you see his struggle and his suicide as being connected with the struggle that comes with being transgender and trying to navigate that difficult situation, especially in the middle school. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I think everyone kind of remembers that middle school is really tough, even if you are not having any kind of atypical experience. Well, I've, I've kind of developed a theory on that. Yeah. So I think members in the LGBTQ community and for people that maybe might live outside the box, I think they contemplate life mm-hmm. and the world and their existence on a level that um, maybe other people don't at that age. They don't have to think about they it. They don't have to think about yeah. it. They're worried about, you know, various sports or Mm -hmm. you know just different things and when you have a deep soul early on in life that's really a challenge and um, people in the LGBTQ community seem to be more in touch with their true identity or how they identify themselves and um, that doesn't fit into our culture or society Mm -hmm. a lot of times we haven't learned how to you know assimilate that into a nice neat little box and um and those people, those people in the community suffer for it because they feel excluded or they feel like maybe they're wrong. Mm-hmm. And then they start to, you know, doubt themselves or they're afraid that they're bothering everybody because everybody's having to rethink what they think they know. You've spoken about the idea of connectedness and the importance of not feeling isolated and alone. Mm-hmm. And it can be uh, difficult for you know, anyone to feel like they potentially are lacking validation that, you know, that helps us get through to the next thing and have confidence and all these kinds of things. I, you know, I I can't even imagine once again, what that must be like if you are, you know, someone who finds yourself outside of the accepted norm of, of kind of this binary system we have. Mm -hmm. And, and you're also, it's, you know, in that situation, um, going through your own acceptance of yourself because society has put an idea in your brain at a certain age and then you're you're the one that's trying to come up with this understanding of who you are Um, all adolescents are trying to figure out who they are and someone who is dysphoric with their gender has an even added dramatic load of trying to figure out who they are and so you're there's a self-acceptance they're going through as well um and so there's this external pressure and also this internal pressure um and that's why they call it gender dysphoria Mm -hmm. um is that you know they're very unhappy with who they were born into um and then yet to be who they feel they are they have to go against the quote-unquote norms of society and it's a very difficult uphill battle to confront all that while you're still trying to figure out who you are because you know sometimes people have these gender struggles and and end up back on the side they started there i mean it's not black and white even someone who's transgender it is not a 
it's not a light switch on off it's a rheostat kind of mm-hmm. uh, of spectrum and so as they develop and grow they're trying to figure it out for themselves and so you know you, and all of this is is going on in a brain that is not even finished developing mm-hmm. and so we talk about suicide in teens uh, it's it's very different um even than suicide in adults um because their brain is different than adults they make decisions on a much more emotional level because their cognitive um and long-term planning uh, is not fully integrated mm-hmm. it's partially there but it's not fully there there so. was a um i used to tell jay that i was like you know Things will make more sense the older you get. Mm-hmm. You'll be able to process things better. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm in school at Sanford University, and I've taken a, a childhood adolescent development course. And one of them was to interview an adolescent, which I had. And we would watch some of the videos that we were learning together. And I was like, okay, this helps me understand. You're really not trying to be um, disrespectful or disobedient you really don't remember what I told you to do this morning because your brain is pruning Mm. itself and growing. And so we had that understanding. And I was like, I think we're having a pruning week whenever he was having a bad week (laughs) and he just wasn't listening. And I cut him a little bit more slack, you know, because um, there's a, I think there's a healthy balance between being a parent and being this understanding figure. And um, uh, Mark, you really hit it on the head when, uh, you know, you're trying to figure out this identity and we just don't have uh, adolescents just don't have those resources and it's really about just accepting those children for what they are and Mm -hmm. how they're discovering it Mm -hmm. Um, when I told somebody about Jay's situation before he died and that he was transgender um, the common question I would get they're like well is he going through a phase Mm. and I said "Um, well aren't we all going through a phase (laughs) I was like, what I was going through, you know, three years ago was a phase. <laughs> and um, yeah. I, I don't think it we seems should to kind de- of diminish what's yes, going on. Yes, it diminished. Yeah. And that just contributes to these um, antagonistic factors yeah. that just play against uh, the mind and how it works in adolescence. Well, I guess it just surprised me because, um, you know, I mean, obviously there's been a lot of talk in our society in the last couple of years about, um, you know, uh, the whole transgender issue. And I thought it was interesting that you brought to the table at the beginning of this discussion, the idea that, you know, wow, this is uh, suicide is something we need to be talking about. And I think that there's something uh, nice and refreshing about that. And I think it says something important about your son that, you know, suicide is, is something that affects everyone regardless of even a situation like someone, you know, struggling with, you know, their identity and, and relation to gender. So, um, I don't know exactly what, how to articulate what I'm trying to say about that, but I think that that's, that's a good point to be made here is that we're, we're talking about a human being um, yes. and who has, who has struggled with something that affects a lot of human beings. Well, and I think that's something that we do so often. We dehumanize right. each other and we find faults. Yeah. And, you know, it's easy to dehumanize, you know, somebody who's transgender or, you know, we start comparing them to inanimate objects mm-hmm. or saying they deserve death. You're talking about a soul here. You could be talking about, you know, everyone in this room and um it's it's really difficult when we dehumanize yeah because i mean that makes us feel okay about saying well this is what you need to be doing or this is going to be your punishment 
And um, suicide is uh, something we just don't talk about because it's very painful. It confuses us, and our brains are constantly trying to figure out why things happen, mm-hmm. and we can't just accept that things do happen. Right. And um, I just, I think if we talk about some of these hard issues, like some of the topics y'all have been talking about, um, that helps us process it and move forward with actually helping each other versus judging. Yeah, no doubt. Let's take a quick break, uh, and we'll come back and talk more about it. I always want to say, up next, we'll talk with Aaron about this, but then I realize, wait, Dr. Mark knows what we should talk about, not me. <laughs> so I'll let him tell us when we come back. Um, all right, we're hanging out with Dr. Mark Westfall, as we do each and every month. You can hear these segments uh, under the podcast, Let's Think On It, wherever you find podcasts. And tonight, uh, we have Aaron Georgia here. Aaron, of course, joined us in June, um, just two weeks after her 13-year-old son, um, who was transgender. I, I know that's an important part of the story, I guess, but you know, sometimes it's just, just say Jay. Right. Yeah, I know. Uh, but Jay sadly uh, lost his life to suicide at the end of May. And it was really remarkable that Aaron came on two weeks afterwards and gave just this, like, really open and honest interview on the morning show and replayed on the evening show. I think uh, Aaron's interview may be the most response we've ever gotten from an interview. Um, also, the young man that's at Auburn, now your former student. Yeah, Mark. That, mm-hmm. Mark, that got a ton. And then Jason Lee that Mm -hmm. those are the three i think that have gotten the most feedback ever so aaron joins us again um now fast forward four months Mm -hmm. is that where we are yeah that's where we're at yeah four months which i and and so if you haven't heard the interview go back and listen to it on the podcast yeah go to let's think on it and listen to the interview in the morning which we taped and then we talked about it afterwards and if you listen to that you're going to be very impressed with the strength um that aaron showed and i kind of want to i want to lead this a little different direction because uh, it may leave people feeling like, wow, I mean, she's like Superwoman. And, and, yeah, and that's um, very unrealistic, honestly. And, you know, I think it's important. I'm not trying to be a downer, but I think it's important to share, and you are willing to, or whether I'm asked for this, to share some of the struggles you've been through. Because really, I mean, it, I suspect it's been pretty difficult. It's It's been very difficult. Um, and um, it really took um, a perception and a, a, a change in my mind and the way that I thought of the death of my son and um, because um, in all honesty and vulnerability, um, I felt like I died that day because um, I was so attached and so connected to my son. And I just loved him so much that I thought that I was going to save him. You know, I just knew that we would make it through. And for somebody that does feel like they do everything right as much as possible, or, you know, at least I try, um, you know, we have that idea of perfection and that we do have control. Mm-hmm. And then to have that control, um, all of a sudden I realized that there is no control over certain situations. And um, that took me on a, a, a pretty dark path for a few months. Um, I went, I had the, you know, the strength, but that also comes along with the shock. So when you're dealing with grief, you don't really want it to be real. And it doesn't seem real. You're still trying to call for your child to come down to dinner. Or uh, Jay and I would take trips together just to the store um, because he had some social anxiety. So I'd try to take him on small trips with just a few people out and do things. Mm -hmm. And um, I was used to saying, okay, I'm going to run to the store. And Jay's no longer there to ask to go to the store. So it's a whole uh, family shift. And that is... um, that was extremely painful for our family and everything. And I'm married and I have two kids, um, 10 and eight years old. We, uh, so, two weeks ago, sorry, um, our aunt passed away. It was not sudden, um, mm-hmm. but really interesting. And I thought about you through this process because 
four or five days later, like funeral had come and gone, and we all got together. And her children, our cousins, um, one of them was there eating dinner. And of course, they're just happy people in general. But she said, you know, I haven't been able to cry mm-hmm. yet. She said, everybody's asking, why am I not crying? She's like, I haven't been able to cry. And another friend of ours was there who had lost her husband this past year. And she said, you know, same thing for me. She was like, initially, I wasn't able to cry. I like put on this face or whatever. She's like, but then fast forward six months later I would find myself just randomly crying in the grocery store mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I, I thought about you with that just like I was like huh that, you know absolutely and um the day after Jay died so the first day is utter and complete shock and yeah. it was chaos and it was very traumatic and there's plenty to be spoken about trauma when it comes with discovering you know a death mm-hmm. or any type of instance we're not expecting because our minds really prepare us for um what we expect mm-hmm. and um even if it's a severe situation, I've been to war before. I was going to say, did I was your pre- war experience help in that situation, or did it have any effect on it? Well, so the way that it helped was by getting me through, because you learn to, in tense situations, you're able to kind of cut off a part of you and do what you have to do, because sometimes you have to take care of things that you don't want to do, and um, that helps in the meantime, but it's more of a survival instinct so of functionality and the marine corps definitely helps you discover those if you don't have those natural traits mm-hmm. and um but when everything is quieted down then the utter sadness just seeps in and i would just sit there sobbing um i didn't know that you can get physically ill from crying like I knew that it has physical effects, Mm -hmm. but I didn't really know the physicality of it. My eyes were like razor blades. Like they were, they were raw from tears. I was like, how does that even happen? Mm -hmm. And then like, I couldn't eat and I felt sick all the time and my body was just exhausted. And I didn't realize all the, the various hormones that come along with our emotions have such a trying uh, physical nature to it. And that was something that I realized I cannot function. Um, one struggle that I had um, over the summer, I was enrolled in summer classes and I made it to the first class and everybody's like, what are you doing here? You know, I was like, well, I figure I'll try. Right. You know, and um, but I got home and I got to the end of the week and I was supposed to submit an assignment and I'm just sitting in bed, just weeping and just looking at the. I've read the text like five times but I can't comprehend it. My brain just doesn't function. And I had to, that was another eye opener. Okay. I'm not able to do things. I didn't like to drive myself places because I didn't know if I would be distracted. Mm. And I usually was. (laughs) And, um, I just tried to take it easy. And I think sometimes people don't understand looking from the outside in that it's so physical and it's so debilitating. And you, you're a Marine, you said? A former Marine. I served um, from 2001, right after 9-11, little patriot, yeah. and then uh, until 2005. And then my husband served for 13 years. So it's not like you are some kind of weenie who's a softie or whatnot. This I is. Know. I might have some of those traits, <laughs> I, mean, I guess. I think it's interesting, though, to think about. I mean, because, I mean, honest to goodness. We're talking I mean, implicit biases, I think, now. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. That's all right. We've worked really hard yeah. for these biases. Yeah. So if it has to do with the Marine Corps, yeah. rah. I, I thought you were 
enough to know she's not a weenie. But that's my point is that, I mean, seriously, I've had several students recently who have uh, joined the Marine Corps and have talked to them about the training they've gone through. And that's all about learning how to, you know, persevere through physical difficulty and whatnot. So to hear you talk about that means that really means something because you've because been I've, through physical difficulty um, before. before this, um, I would definitely say that I knew my physical limits. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was before pre-child and as a woman we have different physical limits than most most women have different physical limits than most men like Mm. they vary a whole lot but um i knew how far i could walk with a 60 pound pack before my feet kind of gave out or i passed out you know i know how many days i can stay awake and what food i need to eat so um yeah the physical side wasn't something that was you know different but it was that i wasn't doing anything except this having felt like um, this connection mm. was completely gone. Yeah. And I didn't know. And it was like um, my connection to this person, this, you know, that I carried inside of me, it was completely gone. It's like somebody amputated all my limbs, okay. you know, and how you're like flailing around, but you don't even have arms yeah. to flail. And had you ever experienced depression in your life before? So um, I would I had postpartum depression after mm-hmm. my third child. It was a very difficult labor and delivery. I almost died, um, blood transfusions, blah, blah, blah. So I had to really step it back after mm-hmm. that. Um, I used to ride motorcycles, and um, they're too heavy for me. But I ride scooters, so don't ever give up. You can get a trike, too. <laughs> and So maybe um, you are a weenie. <laughs> yeah. It's a Vespa. It's two hundred. Oh, okay. It's a cool bike. Yeah, You're a cool weenie. Yeah. I go to I go to scooter rallies. Okay. So, um, but I had experienced uh, depression during that time, and I was on uh, an antidepressant Zoloft mm-hmm. for about a year. And my dad uh, was diagnosed with uh, stage four cancer mm. in June, five months after I had my third child. And um, I moved. We were living in California, and I moved from California to Georgia to help take care of my father. And that kind of whipped me out of the depression Mm -hmm. because um, when you're doing stuff and you think about other people, you're not thinking about yourself in your depression. Some of the symptoms you described in grief, and there's a lot of overlap between grief and depression. Yes. And so it's a very physical experience, and it it matters not your weenie level or your bravado level. Um, When you get depressed, it affects your brain and it affects your concentration, your energy, your motivation, feelings of hopelessness and all Mm -hmm. the things that you felt and all the things that Jay felt. Yes. Um, and it really is a overpowering experience that people have. And and there's you know there's not enough muster uh, or marine umph to get you through it. Um, now, I'm not saying that perseverance isn't important sure. to get through depression, um, but it is a overpowering feeling, and that's what you're describing, um, having gone through. And then and and, and that's that wasn't even, I haven't even told you about the worst of it. So um, it was probably about two months in, and, um, you know, I wasn't in school. I wasn't working because I was working part-time as a uh, college recruiter, and um, I was just taking it easy, and that's what I was going to focus on. And um, But I stayed in bed a lot because I was very depressed, and I physically didn't feel like getting out and doing stuff. I had a, a lot of um, anxiety when I would go out. Uh, we do Chick-fil-A um uh, cow Appreciation Day every year. We were um, three times running uh, Best Herd Ooh. and Trustful. <laughs> so I, we really put a lot of effort into it. We were uh, Cow's Angels one year. Mm-hmm. I, and I can't remember another one. But um, so 
we we wanted to go to this cow appreciation and um but it was so physically hard for me just to try mm. to put some spots on a t-shirt and i usually go all out and we we're going to be like spider cows this year because the spider-man coming out and mm. stuff and um it was just so hard and but we made it over there we didn't make it to the first they have like two um competitions and when we went to the second one i had such a panic attack i've never experienced and i'm you know i mean i've been in yeah hellfire and brimstone type situations and here i am in my element where i want to be and all these people are overwhelming me mm. and i start wringing my hands I start, my heart starts racing and it's just really, really bad. And I, I looked to my kids and I was like, this is really hard. I need to leave. Can we get our food to go? And they said, yes. And that was the first sign that I said, okay, I'm, I'm kind of on a spiral here. I was like, let's see how far the rabbit hole goes, you know? And I just kind of let it wash over me. And um, to try to shorten the story a little bit, um, when... So I stayed in bed a lot, and I was depressed, and people were like, well, do you need to go see a doctor? I was like, well, I don't really feel depressed, depressed yet. I was like, I'm still lamenting and mourning the loss. Mm-hmm. I was like, this is and natural. And it's very difficult to for people to know, okay, when is it grief, and when do I need to get treatment? When yeah. is it a problem? It's very difficult. To and um, and I just for providers to know when. from yeah. a personal standpoint, and I think it's very important that you have people involved in your life, because most of the times our judgment is not sound mm-hmm. when you're going through these extreme situations. But um, since I had been through some depressive states, I kind of knew when to, to go and really seek out that help. Um, but you have to have those support systems in place mm-hmm. and have the resources. And my husband mm-hmm. was always there watching after me and taking care of me. And um, it really hit the bottom of the barrel. One day I was in bed and I said, you know what, I'm going to make today a good day. And I had every intention of getting up. I got up, I got dressed, I even fixed my hair. And then I went downstairs and I was gonna fix the kids some lunch. And um, I fixed one child uh, some macaroni and cheese. And the and my child accidentally dropped the macaroni mm. and cheese on the carpet. You would have thought that the world had just ended. Like I just could not handle one unexpected thing. Mm. Um, and I've. Like I was yelling and screaming and I was hitting myself in the head. Like it was really a physical because I felt such pain and such sorrow that I had no idea how to comprehend. And um, once I finally calmed down just a little bit, I texted my husband. I said, I'm not okay. I was like, I need you to come home and be with me. And then I reached out to a support system and they were like, you know, you need to go to the hospital. I was like, well, somebody's with me. I'm not suicidal. I was like, you know, I'm safe. It's like, I just want to sit at home and have somebody sit with me. And um, and that's what I did. And um, did, did you seek, are you in, do you counsel with anyone? Do you? So um, I'm not under like one-on-one counseling. I, I was going to a grief support. Yeah. Um, I hated being there, but also I knew it was what you're supposed to do. And I usually try to do what you're supposed to do <laughs> most of the time, or at least I'll, mm-hmm. I'll do it so I can say that didn't work. See, I told you. Yeah. But um, so I had that counseling. and This was recently after Jay's death? Yeah, grief counseling with that. But um, no one-on-one type yeah. stuff. But yeah. I'm in ministry, so a lot of the it's clergy of, and support, we talk and have that. counseling yeah. type sessions. Um, all right. 
final segment we're hanging out with dr mark westfall don't forget all of the stuff you can catch uh wherever you find podcast under the name let's think on it aaron georgia has been here with us we first met aaron back in june uh shortly after she lost her son jay to suicide just two weeks before that um so now we've kind of been recapping and catching up with aaron and figuring out how what it's like four months later because i lord knows i have no idea i can't process i think it's it's a process it's it's a real process um, quickly, you'd said, and I don't know if you said this on the air during the break, sorry, but that um, you now still kind of have these things that will trigger, you know, some emotion like sounds, um, you know, from that morning, almost PTSD stuff. Right. You just, did you wake up that morning because that's the normal time you would get up or did you get up for a certain reason? Oh, or? no. So it was very traumatic that morning. So my husband leaves early for work and um, that morning he got up a little bit extra early to go to work because he had to go in early. And I remember waking up to yelling, him yelling for me, because we're mm. all in the same, I have a two-story home, and the second level is where all the bedrooms are at. So I remember him yelling for me, and um, I remember jumping, or m- my second oldest child came in and said, Dad needs you. And so I ran in there, and then that's when um, I mm. saw what was going on so um the yelling and like heavy sounds in the house was a trigger at some Mm -hmm. point Mm -hmm. and um so you've got the trauma of losing your child you also have the trauma of finding your child of the incident yes which is as you mentioned before kind of a a whole separate ptsd event it is uh, in Mm -hmm. and of itself that you had to contend with and uh and and your mind's got to process all that so you're, you're you're dealing with grief and PTSD, really. Absolutely, yeah, and that that I think that's very common with people that experience any type of unexpected um, event, honestly, and it's and it has a significant emotional impact on yeah. them. But especially, I mean, you uh, you have images and all these kinds of things that are part of that experience as well. Yeah. It's difficult. It's it's absolutely, and you touch on a really good point that a lot of people don't want to talk about. Yeah. Um, you know, um, when we found Jay, because he had hung himself, mm-hmm. you know, that's a very traumatic image um, of my child. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to remember him that way. But no. that is the, the one that's at the forefront because it has such strong emotional mm-hmm. attachment right now. Yeah. So um, I've, I just let that kind of wash over me and remember that's not how he was. That's how he was for a short time. Yeah. Yeah. And um, just kind of let it wash over me and, you know, talk about it. The more you talk about it, the more it actually helps. Do, do, you, do you feel like you connect with him still? And we've talked a lot about missing him and losing him. And But what do you still have present of him? That's an excellent question because um, – I think Jay and I were very similar, so a lot of my aspects were a lot of his aspects. So a lot of everything I do reminds me of him because mm-hmm. we had a lot of the same interests. Um, and um, But one thing that really kind of connects me with him is, um, it sounds silly and it doesn't even really remind me, is the color orange. Mm-hmm. Um, so everybody started wearing these orange bracelets. It was a, a, a student at the school Mm. that thought that orange represented Jay because Jay liked to dye his hair. Mm. So he had this orange mop on the top Mm -hmm. of his head and everything. And I would get calls, you know, about, you know, how middle schoolers aren't supposed to dye their hair like that. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, it's a healthy expression of whatever. And, Mm. but, um, so the color orange and it helps me remind 
of a safe place. It's an up, uplifting it's, it's feeling. It's an uplifting feeling. So to me, we've talked about this before with grief. Um, you know, grief, is, as we discussed, is a process. And it, it's not something that you get through, as you discussed early in the, in the hour tonight. It's something that you um, experience and are transformed by. Yes. But you don't get over it. It's no. not doesn't have an end. It is a process. And one of the concepts that I talk about with patients that are going through grief is, to me, the, the grief process is, is a transition uh, from, that the brain has to go through uh, to transition from focusing on the physical absence mm-hmm. of whoever you lost to what you have left, which is, and, and we'll, we, this will be up for debate um, from our previous conversations, but their spiritual presence. Absolutely. It's what is left of them that you can connect with. Mm-hmm. Um, and that grief is that transition. I see people who uh, get stuck in focusing on the physical loss for years, and then I see others who transform into in this, what they, what they have left of their loved one and they embrace that part and it allows them to to transform to a different place in themselves so that they can uh, continue their life with the memories and the connection they have to their loved one that is still present Mm -hmm. and so for example the color orange for you is has a very uh, spiritual connection to your child and so it gives you a, a positive feeling. And, and so I encourage people to pursue those things that make them connect to the loved one and make them feel uplifted. Um, uh, and so that will hopefully uh, kind of be able to overpower those, the negative images you had of the last day of his life, which is one small segment of mm-hmm. the, the wondrous life you had with him, the, the wonderful 13 years you had with your child. Mm-hmm. And so connecting with those memories, and it's not just a memory because it's, there's still something uh, it's not like you're going backwards. You can take it with you and still have experiences now and re-experience your child in today and still have him with you. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Oh, absolutely. Um, I really w- wanted to share that I, ha- I experienced the deepest valleys, I felt like, and a complete disconnect. Um, I imagine it's all as threads in a big web. Mm-hmm. That's how, and by... Um, communicating and connecting with people we formed this beautiful tapestry tapestry mm-hmm. and i felt like um like my thread was completely disconnected from the you know the tapestry, the tapestry. Yeah. and i just and just to be like flapping in the wind with no connection to anybody because you're all of a sudden you've been thrown into this reality of you don't understand it you don't comprehend it mm-hmm. and that's a, a very spiritual side it's a mental flip that you have to weave yourself back into the universe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, I've, I've found some personal ways to do that mm-hmm. and to um, make that connection again and to see that I didn't die that day. Mm-hmm. And honestly, yes, Jay died physically, but Jay still lives. We're talking about him today. Yeah, yeah. It's, you mentioned earlier that you, you felt part of you died. And what what I think one of the things, I don't want to presume, I don't know you that well, but is that part of your identity was being Jay's mom and helping him through things. And so when that wasn't there, you had to grieve that part of you. Absolutely. And Absolutely. So, and that's kind of, that's when you felt alone and isolated and detached from the tapestry. And mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. welcome to weaving yourself back in and hopefully that process continues for you. Well, I hope so. We have a psychologist that listens. Um, I think we can say their name on the air, I guess, but first of all, she says, 
tell Dr. Marcus said hello, so we'll do that after the show. But she says uh, a lot of her grief and loss patients that come in, they come in wondering why they're having what feels like harder times dealing with the death and other people. And in most cases, it's because there's some PTSD that sometimes they were not even aware of mm-hmm. involved mm-hmm. with the death. Yeah. You know, we um, we talked a little bit off the air earlier about the fact that right now one of my English classes is studying uh, Slaughterhouse-Five, which is a fantastic novel by Kurt Vonnegut. And um, one of the things we were just talking about a second ago reminded me of, of one of my favorite ideas from Slaughterhouse-Five, which is that um, the Tralfamadorians um, like to say that when you see a person who has died, uh, all it means is that they are in a bad state in that moment, but they are still in a perfectly wonderful state in all of the other moments of their life. And I think it's it's interesting the way death is a, a finality that it, it's easy to focus on and think, well, now there's the moment that, that matters most, but really all of the other moments still exist and are still things that we can, like Dr. Westfall says here, can still experience and choose to interact with all those other moments. We don't have to focus just on that one moment that's not a good moment. Absolutely. Um, I think there's a, you know, there's so much more to life than what we really think it is. We're very, um, you know, materialistic. Mm -hmm. We, We have to see it to believe it. And when it doesn't coincide with the way that our brain works and it confuses us when we're met with something that's a spiritual or disconnection there's no reason why except you had this intangible connection to somebody or you experienced a trauma or something and um it just you know you can't dwell on that loss that disconnect right yeah thank you very much for sharing and coming back in and and sharing more of what you've been through because i think it helps listeners to connect with you know uh, what they may be going through. So I really felt like, man, an hour and ten minutes, we're gonna get all the questions in, and no, <laughs> turns out we got about a quarter of everything that I wanted to ask him. Yeah. So yeah. we'll have to do it again. Which, uh, yeah, if you're yeah, I'll be it. happy to. Okay. Mm-hmm. Great, let's do it. Yeah, Aaron, thank you so much. To listen to Dr. Mark Westfall live, check out O Brother Radio in Birmingham Mountain Radio, one hundred seven point three FM in Birmingham, ninety seven point five in Tuscaloosa, at bhammountainradio.com or on the free BMR app. Join in with your questions and comments on Twitter at Lockamy Brothers.